Welcome to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast, the official podcast of United Basketball Clinics. I'm your host, Chip Clark. Now, let's grow the game together. We are very excited to have Coach Hernando Planels on the podcast today to discuss leadership, communication, connection. Coach, thanks for joining us. How are you? Chip, man, I, I'm the one who's honored and flattered and pumped that I am on the podcast, man. I tell you, the energy seeping through my veins is unbelievable right now. I can hear it. I can feel it. And likewise, brother, likewise. Oh, man, we're going to get into some great content tonight. You guys are in for a treat. Um, and if you haven't been able to tell yet, the energy is going to be off the charts tonight. So uh, so thank you guys for joining and tuning in with us. If you do not know Coach Hernando Planels, allow me to make a brief introduction. Not only has he coached the game of basketball at all levels, he is a speaker, the host of his own Be Contagious podcast. Uh, he wears many, many other hats as well. Coach, could you take a couple moments and give us your coaching background, uh, your career path, any other projects you're currently working on. And if you'd like to, go ahead and give us a way to connect with you as well. Absolutely. I will probably start with that off because I'll probably forget it later on. So um, you can, I, I, you know, you can visit the website. It's HernandoPlanels.com. Um, I've got Instagram. It's Coach HB Jr. I've got Twitter. It's Hernando Jr. I'm even on TikTok dancing like little bell bib to vote with my son Preston. Um, but if you didn't catch any of that, all you have to do is type in the Google box, Hernando comma basketball, and then you'll find everything that you want to know and you don't want to know. Um, I'm kind of, you know, my, my mom told me growing up, she said, you know, junior, she called me junior. She said, you know, you, you can't be a jack of all trades and master of none. And I said, mom, but if I do a lot of stuff and I do it at a, at a pretty good level, I don't need a master or anything. I could just go ahead and, and be good at everything. So, you know, I've been, I've been a coach for now 20 years. I can't believe I can finally say I've been a coach for 20 years. I've coached high school, junior college. I was, uh, I coached in three different countries. Um, I was with the Boston Celtics and their NBA uh, G League team, the main Red Claws, um, Philippines, Japan. I, uh, most recently, I was the associate head women's basketball coach at Duke. So I've coached both men and women. And currently, I serve the great country of New Zealand as their junior national team coach. And that's, that's one part of the coaching world. On the other side, uh, I've also done sports choreography on film. So if you've seen Coach Carter, you've seen The Longest Yard, um, you have helped me pay for my bills, and I appreciate you. Um, and, uh, and, and finally, really, which is my, the biggest passion I have is, is speaking. I, I own a company called Be Contagious where I work with organizations, with teams, on how they lead, how they communicate, how they connect, and how they include mindfulness in it when it comes to meditation, mind mapping, visualization, all of that. So it's basically taking everything I've done, working with actors and athletes, and saying, hey, these guys are high-performing people, and I can help you and your organization be high performers as well. That's excellent. We're going to get into a lot of the ins and outs of what you do throughout the this episode. And I can't wait for you guys to hear um, Coach Pennell's talk about that. Um, H, we uh, I've got, you need to call me H, man. Okay, we got we got to go with H, man. I, I didn't know if I had to be part of an exclusive club to be able to call you H or not. So I guess we're on a first first letter basis. That's awesome. All right, perfect. So I've got to set the stage for you guys before we get into the nuts and bolts of this. And I'm going to do so by giving you my first impression of H here. So um, set the stage back 2018, a couple of years ago, I, I had yet to meet um, coach. And so we, we have our United Basketball Clinics Coaches Clinic in Greenville, South Carolina. Do you remember that? I do remember yeah. that. And one of the things that we like to do the night before is for any of our speakers that come in the night before or our sponsors, we like to do a dinner. Um, and invite them to come uh, kind of hang out and we all, you know, just to show our appreciation for everyone, be able to have a nice dinner together. So we're sitting at the table and in walks age. And, uh, and so late he, as always, brother. late as always, right. But <laughs> in, in he walks and instantly through the first interaction I had with you, I knew this guy's an extrovert just like me. And this is going to be a heck of a good time. So, uh, so we, we sit down to dinner together. We've got our whole group there. And Matt and I were talking earlier on the phone today, coach, and 
And uh, we both agreed that that was probably one of the most fun dinners that we've had with the clinics. We laughed the whole entire time you had us on the edge of our seat with your stories, man. It was just a great time. And you guys are going to be able to hear the energy come through here um, in our podcast and our episode tonight as, as we discuss leadership, as we discuss um, communication and connection. And uh, those are three things that, that Coach is passionate about. And we can't wait to have him speak about those things. Um, you did mention earlier in your, um, when you were kind of taking us through your career, I've got to tell a quick funny story is, uh, is about you and your actor roles. Yeah. And so, uh, so for you listeners out there, um, just to let you know, I was the other night I was uh, going down a YouTube rabbit hole and you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I'm missing, it's, I'm missing sports. I'm missing live sports like crazy. So I get on YouTube to, to Google some NBA clips. I was watching Magic Johnson passing videos, Pete Maravich, you know, all kinds of stuff. I'm going through the whole gamut, going down that rabbit hole late at night and uh, up pops on one of the, on the screen up pops one of these videos that's next or something. Right. So I, I saw that it was a video clip from the NBA awards for 2017. And it was the, the sketch that was done by Will Ferrell and Drake. Um, about the secret handshakes or something like that after a made basket. And I was like, I remember that, but let me watch it again because I know it was funny. So I clicked on the video, and one of the first people I see on that video in that sketch is UH. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I know that guy. And when I saw it originally in 2017, I, was, I didn't know you. I hadn't met you yet. Right. And so, uh, so seeing it then uh, a few nights ago, and sure enough, I'm going to be interviewing. I was like, man, this is a treat to be able to see this before I get to talk to you um, for our interview with the podcast tonight. So, man, I, I got to say, man, great job on that sketch. What was it like to work with uh, Drake and Will Ferrell? Well, it was, I mean, it was nerve wracking. First of all, I was like 15 pounds heavier. So I was like, I watched it. I'm like, oh, look at me in that polo shirt. That is not a good look for me. Uh, but it, it, I mean, it was amazing because you know, you're working with Drake and Will Ferrell, and I've been blessed to work with some really cool people, but now you're, you're acting in front of them and with them in some ways. And I have to tell everybody, like, I'm not this actor. I'm usually like a referee or a coach, so my face is only made for referee roles on television and film and everything else. So I'm there. My son Preston was with me, and he's like, hey, Dad. You know, because all our son's voices are deeper than ours as they get older. It's like, hey, Dad, man, look at that. Are you nervous? I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really nervous. Are you kidding me? So we go, right? We do the scene and I say my lines and I forgot what my lines was. Like, hey guys, we got these two coaches visiting. So I go, the director yells, cut. The acting coach comes over to me and is trying to give me some, you know, some feedback, like how to feel the role and everything else. So he's talking to me. The director comes over, pulls the acting coach aside and basically tells him that, hey, that guy's a nobody. Don't worry about his line. We got to worry about Drake and Will Ferrell. So I had a chance to do the line one more time. I nailed it. And I wasn't <laughs> cut from the scene. And, and so be it. So there, there's my claim to fame. I can now say that I opened a scene for Drake and Will Ferrell. And without me, there would be no scene. Without me. No scene whatsoever. That is fantastic. That is a great story. Oh, my gosh. What a great story. Yeah, I, I just would, I wish I could have seen your reaction once you heard, like, don't worry about your line or this, that, no, you have to, you heard him talking about that. Oh my gosh, that is fantastic. Uh, so actor is definitely one of those things that we can add to your list of hats that you wear for sure, um, which is, are, are many. We, we're going to get into more of that as we go along. Um, I want to uh, kind of segue into your, uh, your podcast. And as far as your speaking goes, you uh, host the Be Contagious podcast. And I've got a chance to listen to it. Fantastic podcast. Um, I definitely hope that our listeners will go check that out as well. Um, go ahead and give us kind of what it means to be contagious to you and your definition. What was the origin of Be Contagious? How did you come up with it? Um, what does that mean to you? And give us some details about that. Well, I think a lot of the name comes from actually watching, I think, a Tony Robbins special because Tony Robbins does a great job on shocking people. Like he says things to really grab your attention. So when thinking of what I should, you know, name the company and name kind of like the tagline, I was like, oh, leadership today, communication tomorrow. One of these like different cliche, catchy things. And then I was like, wait a second, like I, people, I always talk about how people want to bring contagious energy and enthusiasm and just have a contagious way of life because just like in anything, it spreads. Like 
it can be your energy can spread to other people, your leadership, your connection, your communication can spread. So I started with like, be contagious. And then of course, you know, I make shirts, we sell mugs, you know, all these things. So it, it stops people and says, hey, what does that shirt mean? Like people Google it. Of course, nowadays, now that we're, we're in the midst of the coronavirus, I, I get some weird looks. But exactly. I, I was one. I was wondering about that. <laughs> I probably wouldn't wear the "Be Contagious" uh, T-shirt out in public these days. <laughs> but, but I mean, but that, but that's that's really what it does is, and I think because people, you know, we overcomplicate leadership, right? We overcomplicate so much. If you just have one or two people that really has that contagious energy, then you're going to carry your team and organization to another level. Of course, you'll have people who are stragglers and complain a little bit. But every day you're contagious, you just keep pushing it, pushing it, all of a sudden you change your mindset to be more grateful, to have, to give to others, to have empathy, to really focus on the other person, which leads to just success all the way around. Yeah, I like that you brought up the energy and enthusiasm part of it, how that can spread and be contagious. I've also seen the, the results of that that you mentioned, like the mindset shift, um, giving to others a deeper empathy. It's definitely paid dividends in my relationships. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the core beliefs for Be Contagious? Really, it's, it's, it's about the leadership, the communication, and the connection. But some of those are just, you know, words that people use. I mean, leadership really comes down to how you define it. So every program, every organization have to have their own definition of leadership because the people you bring in, your recruits or your employees, they all have their own definition of leadership. And when you have a centralized thought of leadership, now you could start progressing forward and truly be process driven instead of outcome driven. You know, with that comes the other part. It's the communication part. It's how you communicate. It's your tone. It's are you talking low or high? Are you angry or sad? What comes across with your voice? And in communication, is so much can get lost on emails and text messages. So how do we do that? How do we gain instant connection in the first 30 to 60 seconds you meet someone, either by the phone, either by text or in person. And the last part is really connection, you know, because when you're able to connect, and I, I believe it's the most important thing, when you can connect, that means you are able to communicate and lead at a high level because there is something in common. People want connection, period. When they have connection, they are more willing to do you a favor, they are more willing to really step out of the comfort of, of where they are and really jump in into what, what you're doing. So those are the three pillars. I mean, there's so many different arms that come with it. There's meditation, visualization, mind mapping, everything and, and, and all of that. But those are the three that we really start with the base and then work forward. That's great. You know, I'm excited to hear more about the mind mapping, uh, the visualization, basically the mental aspect of performance development and training. That's something I've always been pretty curious about. Um, I'll certainly be asking you a question about that as we go on a little later in this show. Uh, you know, going back to what you said, I thought it was interesting that you used the word connection when talking about your your uh, Be Contagious core principles. Um, and you used it in relation with culture. You know, I've always thought, well, maybe not always, but for quite some time I've thought that uh, the word culture is one of the biggest buzzwords in coaching right now. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't mean anything bad by that. We obviously know that building that culture and that connection is very, very important to having a successful program. Um, but based on that, or talking about culture, what advice would you give to a coach that's taking over a program that maybe previously didn't have much of a culture there? What would you say to them to, to help them build that culture from scratch or that connection from scratch? Well, I think the, the first part is what you're saying. Yeah, you know, culture is such a buzzword. It's one of the reasons why I switched it. I, I wanted to go more the focus of the connection, go more at the micro level when you're looking at culture and what you're trying to build. And you need great connection to build a great culture. Um, what I've seen, and I, I did a, a, a webinar online clinic a few weeks ago about this, about what you're saying exactly, what you asked exactly, on a new coach coming in, um, there's no culture, what should he or she do? Well, one of the things that you really have to have like a culture checklist, like what do you want your culture to look like? And what does the culture look like right now? And I, I love it all the time. I hear coaches all the time saying, I'm gonna go in there, we're gonna clean house, we're gonna go and establish our culture and they're gonna be us, us, us. And then three years later, they're like, 
well, they just didn't get the culture or I got the wrong kids, whatever. No, no, no. Guys, how about we harness both ends, right? We take a look at the culture that we want to be, that we aspire to be, and then we look at the culture that's already there. What are the strengths there that we can go in and harness together? You see, because coaches do a really interesting thing about culture. To have a great culture in their eyes is having players all doing the exact same thing. But a great culture is when you have two or three kind of outliers who kind of go against the grain a little bit, who are willing to go ahead and be yelled at a little more, but also fall everybody back in line. So those are things that, that you know, I work with organization teams to really look at because sometimes when you're in the pool, you don't see what's swimming in the water. You need an outsider to be like, okay, I think this person can do this, this person can do that. But really, when you have your checklist, and I have different questions that, that, that I, I usually send and go over to really when you take a look at it, then when you have your checklist, now you can attack the issue, the challenge, what's going on, harness all that great energy, and then build your culture from there. That's great. I love that. You know, what are some of those questions you referenced that you can ask of yourself, of your team, your program, uh, when you get to that new job that can help you kind of discover the current status of the program and also help you identify a good roadmap forward for building what it is that you ultimately want to build? Right. I mean, some of the questions really is when you're looking at how do you want the culture to be? What do I want the other teams in the league to say about us? What do I want my own administration to say about us? What do I want my own teammates to say about us? Like those are some good general questions to really tackle because, you know, your culture as a head coach, your players may not be wired to have that. You see, remember, the players or employees you have have already been brainwashed for like 18 years, right? So when you have a freshman who's lived a certain way for 18 years and then the coach thinks that you're going to just also squash that 18 years of brainwashing, and I use brainwashing lightly, everybody, but 18 years of, of, of building, then all of a sudden, like, they wonder, like, after four months, like, oh, the culture's not working. He or she's not paying attention. No, you are running an uphill battle. So you got to ask those questions. So that's the one part. Then the, the other part as well, too, is, is seeing, asking, like, asking the players currently, what is the culture like? What do you see that things need to be improved? What can you do as an individual that could help push our culture in the direction? You see, because every player knows what a great culture looks like. They just don't know how to get there. And they're not willing yet to put the time in, to put the effort in, to push it in that direction. I'm a huge proponent of asking questions to key stakeholders in order to get buy-in from them. And I think asking your players questions like, you know, what's your vision for the future of our program or what can you specifically do to help us get there helps them feel included in the process and invested, helps you get that buy-in. You know, speaking of buy-in, let's talk about leaders. How do you identify your leaders, both positive and negative leaders? A lot of it is, is sometimes if coaches just talk less, right? I think there is a way to direct what's going to happen. Because as a head coach, you are managing. You are a manager. You are coaching the team. You are not a dictator, right? You're not a, a, a maniacal tyrant. You are someone who dictates and moves the needle forward, right? Coaches say this all the time. They're like, hey, you know, if you want me to yell at you all the time, we're not going to go anywhere. You, know, you have to coach you. You guys have to take ownership of the team. Well, they take ownership from the team when you show them and teach them how to take ownership of the team. So, you know, what I would do is, and I, and I do this with, with my New Zealand team when I show up to New Zealand, you know, I just let things naturally be. Who, who is going to be the one who picks up the dishes? Who's going to be the one to say, hey, let's all get together? Like we, we put a board up and say, listen, we're, we got to be um, in our meeting at 745. All right. Who's the one going around telling everybody at 745? And if no one is telling it, then as a coach, you're watching everybody. You're taking notes down of your players. You're like, all right, I got to. That person seems like they can go ahead and lead. And if you give them a few jobs, they can handle it great. Then they start building their confidence to be it. And then all of a sudden you have the built-in leaders who, who get to have your back, the program's back, and then it moves it forward. 
All right, that's great stuff. I while we're on the topic of individuals and players, I'd love to circle back to something we mentioned earlier in the show, and that's the mental performance training. Um, I've always been very curious about mind mapping, visualization, how that can relate to success um, on the court or in life. Um, could you take us through what it looks like uh, to work with the different players and athletes that you work with on their mental performance training? Sure, sure, absolutely. So I'm, I'm working uh, now with mind mapping, meditation, visualization, and trigger words. You see, we have uh, there's so many of our players go through personal training. They see a shooting coach, they see a player development coach, a skills coach, whoever else it is. It's all these things. And then what happens is that sometimes it doesn't get transferred from the trainer to the coach uh, in practice with the coach and then in the game with the coach. Then you have this, this spiraling effect while the parent is mad at the coach and his or her daughter or son because there's no ROI, there's no return on investment. When the reality is a lot of us mess up our kids, mess up our players by over-instructing. So having mind mapping, which is basically almost like an outline, but more in a, in a, in a picture way where today's athletes, millennials and Gen X can understand it better. Um, and it's really like a piece of paper. You draw what you want in the middle, you circle it, and then there's lines that come all over from, from that thought. From there, you could also move into meditation and visualization. Now, why that's so important is because what you're doing is you are having breathing techniques. You're calming your mind when the situation arises, when it's high pressure. So a lot of times when you go ahead and you see someone missing shots, usually it's something like, hey, follow through. Hey, make sure your fingers are on the ball. We tend to overcoach and say, listen, you've already shot like a thousand times. This is what you do. So do it. So what you're doing, you're giving confidence, right? That's the first part. The second part, you're asking your player to calm down, slow down, take a breath, and be who they are. There's a lot of talk that we need to put more players in the gym to get more shots up. Okay, totally get that. But how many of you coaches have players who take, let's say, 200 jump shots a day, and then in the game, can't hit a shot, right? So it's the mental part of it that is a big, big part. So we, we do take some time. I, I did a guided meditation with over 150 coaches a few weeks ago, and it's breathing, it's getting. I mean, LeBron James meditates, Steph Curry, Russell Wilson, Wilson the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, it is growing and growing and growing. So if you're interested and taking your athlete really to another level, you have to instill and install the mental performance side, which is as important as how many jab steps, how many up and unders, how many pump fakes you're going to do, because that is where we are headed, and that is what our players need today. I love that you bring it up in a way that I haven't even thought about it before, and I hear mind mapping, or I hear the the mental aspect of, and we know how important that is, you know, all, all coaches know how important that is. They've seen, you know, their player, like you said, use the, the example of the player getting up 200 shots, the player or the coach knows the player can shoot. The player knows that he himself can shoot and you get in the game and then, you know, you're not able to hit the shot and how it affects you mentally. So being able to prepare mentally the way you prepare physically, excellent point. I love that. How do you feel like it translates and what are kind of the, um, what are tangible ways that you've seen this pay off for players? And, and maybe it's through statistics, but is there anything that you've seen it translate through outside of the court or is it just on the court? No, it's, it, it becomes everything because when you go ahead and, and really it's, it's the study of being uh, mindfulness, right? So when, when you're mindful, you are exactly at the present spot. You know, the last statistic I saw is that there's about 40, 50% of our lives, we are not at the present moment. We are either living in the past or worried about the future. When there really is, as we all know, the past is the past and the future, we have no idea what the future is unless we take control of our present. So one of the things is that it's, it's really getting players and it becomes inside, you know, it, uh, on the court and outside the court, they, there is enhanced focus. You sleep better, which means you recover better. 
your anxiety goes down with it. And, and a big example um, I could use is, is actually my own son. Uh, my son is a college swimmer. Uh, he just finished his freshman year at the, well, he's in the freshman year at the University of Iowa. And, uh, and he, was, he was a really good swimmer. Like a lot of your players, really good athletes that you come in. First four or five months in school, wasn't happy. So many things were going on. And I had spoken to him before about meditation, visualization. And like any 18, 19 year old, they're like, yeah, dad, whatever. You know, so that happened. And then January came and, and he was going to have a swim meet at the University of Notre Dame. He calls me and says, hey, dad, can we do some of those things that you talk about? So we did meditation, we did visualization, and we did it two or three more times. And then he started taking it on his own. Now, one of the key things is about meditation visualization is that you don't just visualize the good things that will happen, right? People say, if you put it out there in the universe, it's going to come back. If you visualize that you're going to make every jump shot, then you're going to make every jump shot. But you have to take it one step further. You have to visualize all the things that will mess up whether you'll be fouled, um, whether someone undercuts you, whether your coaches manage you, whether your girlfriend or boyfriend broke up with you, all those things you have to visualize. So now your mind is prepared to be in the present so that now you could perform. So Preston started doing it on his own, all right? So he did it on his own. Fast forward three months later to the Big Ten Championship. You know, Preston is a 200 backstroker and his times were good, not great. So he swims in the 200 backstroke in the morning in the preliminary. He, did, he visualized, he meditated, he did what he was supposed to do. And, and later, and on that prelim, he cuts off four seconds off his time to make the Big Ten championship in the 200 backstroke. Now, wow. as a dad, of course, I'm proud, I'm pumped. I'm like, yeah, man. But the other part of it is that that is just one example of how it works. There are tremendous amount of athletes who do this and it works for them, but it's taking the time and the patience to actually get it done and be consistent with it. I love the example with your son. That's fantastic. That's a great, that you answered that one perfectly. Like you gave me a tangible way that this works. I love it. Yeah. And it's not that I was skeptical at all. I just wanted to yeah, know. No, no, no. <laughs> no it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things I'm like, you hear about people visualizing things and, and you can see value in it, but I love to hear tangible ways that, and I want our, our listeners to be able to hear that too. And I could definitely see the value in it and how much it helps. Um, I'm glad you're able to do that with, with athletes across the country as well as you do it with more than just athletes, right? Yeah, I, I do with athletes and I do with organizations. So I, I work with their sales force. I, um, I work with human resources because it's such a big thing. I mean, we live in an environment because of our phones, because of, of uh, on-demand TV, because of bills. You know, anxiety is at an all-time high because we just have way too much stuff. And that's fine. If we have way too much stuff, fine. But how are we dealing with it on an everyday basis, right? So it could it could improve all facets of your life as long as you're mindful and you stay present, which I, I probably make it sound really easy. It's not. It's a journey. It's something you do every single day as much as you can to go ahead and set yourself up because that's self-care. And self-care is something that coaches don't talk about. Maybe more a little bit in on the women's basketball side when I was in. But in men's basketball, no one's talking about self-care. But you can't take care of others if you don't take care of yourself. We'll be right back to the interview in just a few moments. But first, I want to thank you for listening to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. We're pleased that you chose to join us. And if you like what you hear, we'd love to have you write us a review and share this podcast with your coaching friends. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast or about United Basketball Clinics, you could follow us on Twitter at United underscore clinics, or you could visit our website at unitedbasketballclinics.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you join us again in the future. Now, back to the podcast. I wanted you to give us kind of a beginner's guide for being relatable to today's generation. This is something that I think that you would probably be very good at. I mean, you're probably the TikTok champ of quarantine. Um, so based on the videos I've seen you and your son do, it's fantastic. So could you go ahead and kind of give us this how-to guide to relate to today's student athletes in an authentic way? Right. I, it really starts off with just 
being curious, right? I, I, I think we, we kind of all do this, right? But when we're young, we try different things. We try to have relationships. As we get older, we kind of just all of a sudden put this wall up around us like we're like royalty. I'm like, oh, no, we don't do that stuff. We don't know. It's, and you see it in social media about five, ten years ago. Like our players would never be friends with us on Facebook or Twitter. They don't even have Facebook. But like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, right? They, they didn't want nothing to do with us. It's now where they're like, hey, coach, I saw that you went to a barbecue this weekend. Or I saw you and your son or your daughter do this and that. They want to know. You know why? Because that's connection, right? That's, that is what they want to have. They want to have connection with you. And you see it in football. How many times have you seen after, like, a big football game, like, the 85-year-old coach is, like, dancing in the locker room, right? That's his way to connect. So you have to be aware of your team. You have to see what, the, if they dance, I'm not asking you to dance. I'm saying, hey, what, what can I do with the two-step, right? How about that? Yet your players are your biggest fans, right? But, but again, we don't want to see that as coach. We're like, oh, no, 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 no. I need them to play hard so I can't joke around with them. I can't do this. Guys, we live in an era where your athletes joke around with their parents. We live in an era where our, our athletes have decisions they make decisions on where they go on family vacation or where they go and eat so when you as a coach say we're doing it this way and my way only of course they're going to rebel of course they're going to transfer so as a coach it's more than x's and o's it's more than your players it's actually getting to know them that will move the needle and i'm not saying you have hour-long conversation i'm saying go on a team dinner Ask them what's going on. Understand what's, and take notes so that you can be much more educated when you talk to them. And when I say educated, meaning you're not asking the same question of how their mom is like five, 10, 15 times. Find other things that can relate to them. And listen, why don't we do that with our players? We do that with everything else in our lives. So let's do it with our people. For sure. If you, if you want to know some, uh, here's the thing. If you want to know something about somebody, you've got to take the time and invest in them and invest that time into being able to find that out. And like you said, the authentic, uh, the authentic part of it comes with not asking the same question over and over. Hey, listen, if you ask the same question over and over to me, guess what I'm going to think? I'm going to think you didn't hear me the first time I answered it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I want different way. And I, I feel like student athletes these days and granted, I may not have a great pulse on, on the, I'm a uh, high school and college basketball official, so I don't get to, to communicate, have productive conversations with athletes all that often. You're so, the most hated man in the world. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I love doing, that's why I love doing the United basketball clinics. I love doing the coaches clinics where I get to hang out with coaches. I love coaches, man. I love, I want to invest in them. I want to help them. And that's why Matt started United Basketball Clinics and, and we're starting this podcast now. And that's why it's so valuable to have you on to be able to talk about these things with us. Um, it's been great so far, man. I've enjoyed every single minute of this. I want to finish with a few questions um, that, that I'll, I've, I'm curious about and I know other people might be as well. What, are, what is a, a couple of the big differences between the international game and the collegiate game here? Um, back in the States, like what, what's the, the, one of the biggest differences and then kind of give me some pros of what, what you've seen from the international game that could translate here. Um, and then if you don't mind, spend a minute about, um, just because I'm curious as an official, the difference between the FIBA rules and, and, uh, our rules here, uh, right. for NCAA and, and what you think, uh, could be better used from the, what could we take out of FIBA rules and use in NCAA here that you'd like to see? Yeah, I, I, when it really comes down to there's more of a free-flowing game. Um, and, and actually, the, the, the funny part is that NBA basketball is they run, you know, the teams that run sets, not the Houston Rockets, but everybody else who runs stuff, they run a lot of European uh, things. I mean, you know, there used, a few years ago, the hammer screen was like the big thing in the NBA and college basketball. Well, they've been running Europe for like 20 years, right? It's, it's, it's not like... It's like, whoa, it's, this is brand new. No, no, it's been, they've been doing it in Lithuania, Spain, and all these different places. It's more of a free-flowing game. Um, you, you also have um, coaches who are very, very good on the, on the tactical side. 
um, more than just X's nose, uh, because a lot of times um, they have players who are who aren't as athletic, um, and they also juggle two or three jobs. So that like they have to find the most efficient way to coach their team, because at times they only have two or three practices uh, a week with one competition. Um, I think that's that that that's one part of it. Um, I think that that when it comes to coaching uh, in, in Europe. Um, and, and in the pro game, um, the coaches really are more managers. They, they understand um, their role on how we're going to push our players, um, not force them. We're going to push our players to go in a direction and learn how to play. And that's why sometimes you see when European players come here and play college basketball, they may not fit into a certain school's so-called system or they're not that good and they're great in Europe. Well, the thing is that, the, like as I mentioned earlier, the European game, the aging game is more free-flowing. It's more reads. It's less control that the players have. Now, yeah, there, there are some, some control um, things going on in, in other countries, but for the most part, it is much more free-flowing, and they learn how to play. In Spain, most teams spend 15 minutes on creativity, meaning if you do layups for five minutes, I want you to do layups any way you do a layup. You know, not the one-two off the, you know, off the correct foot. It could be reverse layup, same foot layup, whatever else it is. It, it opens their mind to layups, passing, and shooting. Um, on, you know, on the referee side, I mean, I argue with everybody. Um, I, I will say this, though. I coached the FIBA Oceana Championship last year, and, uh, and, and the referees, like, they don't mess around. Like, they're not laughing. They're not smiling. I mean, it is strictly business. Like, I, like, usually I come up like, hey, how you doing? You know, you're doing all right. You know, I'm like, sometimes I walk up and like, oh, that was a horrible play. Right. Horrible call. Just in a joking way. Oh, no, 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 no. These guys, it's like the mafia. You, you don't want to mess with them. You don't want to talk to them. You know, because who knows what they're going to do to you in the parking lot. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, just kidding. But, no, I, that would probably be the, the, the biggest difference I've seen on that side. Yeah, and so so from a rule standpoint, though, so um, from a rule standpoint, what are some FIBA rules that you like um, that aren't a part of our collegiate game here in the states or even our professional game? Um, I, I like that timeouts are quicker um, overseas. Um, I do also like I believe they don't have to wait for the referee to touch the ball. I think in certain situations where you inbound the ball, so the game is a little correct. I'm not sure. In, in, in the States, do you still have to wait for the ball to hit the rim when there's a free throw, or now you could move when they shoot a free throw? Uh, it's on the release. Yep, so okay. on the release, you can enter. Yep. Okay, there's that. And then I think the, the, the goaltending rule, I think, is, is different. I think you still play it off the cylinder Right. Um, with it. But, I mean, I, I think those are pretty much the, 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 the only ones. Oh, but I do love the 24-second shot clock. Yes. All over. I think that's a great – I mean, people say that you can't score in college basketball. Well, if you have like 35, 30 seconds, you don't need that much. 24, let's go. Then the argument is like, well, if we have 24 seconds, they'll take bad shots. They're already taking bad shots. What are you complaining about? <laughs> <laughs> so, listen, you brought it up. You opened the can of worms. One of the biggest topics of debate um, among high school coaches in America – is whether or not to introduce the shot clock into the high school game. If you had to pick a side without getting into the logistics of everything and having to hire another official to run the shot clock or, or whatever the case might be or, or being able to afford it, what, where would you stand on the shot clock debate for high school? You, you, ha you have to have a shot clock. I mean, there's no – I mean, he put that, and this goes even further. All right, guys, why are we the only country where high school, college – and professional are three different games, rule-wise, right? There's no, like, we, we have a country of 50 states and only, I think, 10 have shot clocks. And then we have college basketball. The men's three-point line is further out than the women's three-point line. And, and, and then the NBA has defensive NBA three seconds. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> but I know um, I went off topic. No, I think everybody should have a shot clock period because 
it, it, it free flows the game a little bit. I know I, I, I've seen tweets from like hardcore, like motion people in like Indiana and, and Wyoming and Montana. It's like, no, that's, you know, you run, you chin the ball, you make the pass. And it's such beautiful movement. No, you know what's beautiful? Making a basket. That's beautiful. Making a basket. Okay, that is beautiful. Well, I'm sorry I asked that question, and here's the reason why, because now all of the great things that you said in this podcast up until this point, all of the non-shot clock guys are going to be like, oh, let's forget it. Let's write this podcast off. Turn it off already. I'm not going to give my opinion on where I stand on the shot clock uh, debate because I want to continue doing these podcasts. So. Oh, man. All right. Let's uh, let's finish up with some final thoughts. Um, I wanted to get uh, kind of your uh, give me three of your biggest influences in your life, um, not just for basketball. So let's talk about three of your biggest influences in coaching. Um, you don't have to give three for each, but in coaching, communication is big for you. So uh, one of your biggest mentors or, or influencers from a communication standpoint and then in life in general. Yeah. So I, my, my biggest influence in my life is it really is my son and daughter, um, Preston, who's 19. My daughter, Gabby, is 16. Like they're, they're my biggest influence because that's that's how how I've learned. Um, you know, I had Preston when I was 21, 22 years old. Um, I got divorced seven years ago and they moved back to California. So I've had to parent and learn how to communicate from from afar and how to be present, how to not be present, how to deal with all those things. And you know, you, you learn so much by saying, yeah, you know what, guys, I messed up. Like you learn so much by apologizing. Um, and, and when the pride gets taken away and you're open, you're vulnerable, those, those are like your, your big moments. So they're, they're my biggest influence that I've had in, in my life and in everything that I've done. And, 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 uh, and some of it is because, you know, I, I do all these crazy things because I want my kids to see that they can do anything in life. Um, and I thought I was gonna be a big influence on them. And, and in fact, they're, you know, watching how they do things. I mentioned earlier, you know, my son and I do TikTok. So I'm like dancing, like I got to stretch beforehand. Yes. All these things. So like that's, that is a big thing for, for my life. And I've had other great mentors. I mean, Don Casey coached the NBA for 20 years. He was the head coach of the Clippers and the Nets for a long time. And and, and he's, he's been like a second dad to me. And he, actually, I owe him a phone call. He's going to be mad at me. I owe him a phone call. So thanks for reminding me. Um, and, and really, you know, like, I, I, and I really do believe this. Like, everybody who has come into my life has been a mentor, has been an influencer in some way. And it could be from, obviously, my parents, my mom and dad, my sister, um, my siblings. It could be friends that I haven't seen in 20 years. Um, it could be a next girlfriend it could be um, my neighbor, it, 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 could, be, it, it could be anybody. Um, and, and, and I really feel that way because I think we're all humans, we're all trying to be something in life and, and we're all chosen and focused. So I really look at it from, from that perspective um, more than anything, because there's so much to learn as long as you're you know, intentionally curious. Absolutely, I, I've always said, if you're not learning, you're losing. I, I, I feel like I, I'm from the same vein as you on this you can learn something from everyone, everyone you come in contact with, you can learn something. If you're just, if you look, if you open your eyes and you look, you can coaches, if you're out there, you can learn something from your student athletes. Um, you're not the only one teaching, you know, right. in, in my opinion, um, in my opinion, you're not the only one teaching. They can teach you things from time to time um, about yourself even, you know? And so I love that. I love the influences that you gave. And I especially love the influence of, you know, your um, son and your daughter. I see how much fun you have with them on social media and it literally every single time you're one of the one accounts that um, I'll scroll through, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And when I see your name there, I'm like, okay, I kind of have to watch this real quick. And then I always start laughing or I smile or something. Or I'll be like, Hey, I'll show my wife. Hey, check out Hernando right here. Like, look what he's doing. Look at these sweet moves. So I love that. Those are great with the influences. Um, quick. What was it like at Duke? Um, being able to coach at Duke, just to briefly. Yeah, it, you know, it was it, it was a truly amazing experience. I, I had a great boss in Joanne Pauley, um, our athletic director, Kevin White. Uh, Nina King was our administrator. And, and I, I had a great time with the staff. I mean, we, um, I mean, really, Coach P gave me an opportunity when no one gave me an opportunity. And, uh, and, and I grew there. 
and it was I was there for seven years. I mean, to to be around that great group of of a tribe um, was was huge for me because honestly, Duke is like the longest job I've ever had. And I was there for seven years. It's the longest job I've ever had by like six years. Um, but then on top of that, it's not just them. It's, you know, being, uh, seeing Coach K and the way he did things. It's Coach Cutcliffe on the football team, um, it, from softball to soccer to, to just how things were. It, it's, a, it, it's, it's a beautiful place. Um, I, mean, I, I still do. I do a leadership conference every single year, except for this year, obviously, um, called the Moving Up uh, Sports Leadership Conference. And we do it at Duke every single year. And, and they've been a great host. Um, and it's, it's a phenomenal institution. I mean, I could never get in there academically, um, but to be there was same. a John and blessing. You know? <laughs> yes, same. I couldn't either. I was a, I was a big tech fan, Georgia Tech fan growing up, and people asked me, did you go to school there? Because most Georgia Tech fans actually went to school there. Right. Because why would you be a Georgia Tech fan if you didn't go to school there? And so I tell them that I'm, I'm the biggest fan who was never smart enough to go to school. Right. So. <laughs> So here I am doing podcasts and uh, basketball and officiating. You and me both, brother. You That's and right. me both. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so lightning round. You ready? Uh, just, ready. just quick hitters. Um, what's one piece of advice? This is a hefty one to start out with. Um, <laughs> what's one piece of advice you wish you could go back and tell your, um, your younger self going into coaching for the first time? Oh, man. I dropped um, that one on you, man. You know what? I, I – um, Oh, wow. You know what? I, I think that the, the biggest advice I, I would do is, is tell them to pay attention. I think at that, at that age, you're so quick to be like, I want, I want my next job. I want this. I want that. And, and you end up forgetting and not seeing so much because I wasn't paying attention at that time. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, what is something that 95% of the people out there do not know about you? Oh, wow. I'm hitting you with with some tough ones right here at the end. You know what? I guess. Uh, okay, two things. I was a coach on slam ball, which I didn't mention earlier. I was a, a, a coach on slam ball. Are you serious? Hang on, time out. Yeah. This can't be a lightning round. I've got to hear more about this. <laughs> yeah, so I was I was a slam ball coach for the team called the Bouncers. We're orange and blue, and I was a slam ball coach for three yeah three seasons. That's uh, that's how I got into the film industry. I met some people because I was coaching on slam ball. I literally love that every time I talk to you, I learn something new about you. This is fantastic. <laughs> this is great so stuff. That, and then the second one was for one of my films, my job was to play basketball and set up games for Adam Sandler. Nice. That was, that was the, I'm name dropping here, guys. I'm so sorry. I'm not bragging <laughs> to the world. Not what I'm doing. Well, you asked the question, I'm going to answer it. Since since you're doing it, my last question is going to be a shameless plug for United Basketball Clinics. So, so you have been one of the few people um, that have um, we have had to come speak at multiple um, coaches clinics for us for United Basketball Clinics. We mentioned earlier the first time I met you was in 2018 at our Greenville, South Carolina clinic, um, and you've also you also spoke for us last year at our Peach State Clinic in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, do you mind? Um, telling us what your thoughts are about United Basketball Clinics and what we do and, and kind of your experience and speaking with us a couple of times and, and your interaction with the, the coaches that were in attendance. Yeah. And, and I mean, this from the bottom of my heart, I, I think it's a great event, uh, you know, to, to come in and share with coaches. But what I really love is, is really the interaction um, that you and Matt do with the people who, who come in. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, some people do clinics to, to make tons of money. Some people do to make connections like you guys do it because it's, you know, for basketball to grow. You know, I'm not one to ever say they're doing it for the right reasons. But, you know, the, the you know, my first um, conversation with you guys and getting to know wh why you're doing this. And, and, and the other part is you, you put it in places where where it's needed. Right. It was Greenville. Um, it was, you know, outside of Atlanta uh, last year. Um, I know you did one in Indiana at, at, at the Hoosier gym. Like, you're doing it places that you had one in Tennessee, um, I think the first year or something. Like, th those are places where you you're reaching a, an audience um, that is more rural and, and, and that is needed. And the experience is great. I think the content is great. Um, and, and just the overall feeling, you really make it more also like a networking event. Um, on top of just a basketball clinic. And, 
I mean, I'm always honored to, to, to get a call and say, hey, can you, can you go ahead and, and, and talk? And I'll, I'll do it as many times as you will have me. Um, you may be like, oh my gosh, is Hernando calling me again? I don't want him to be on it. But no, I honestly, I think it's, um, it is a must attend event. Yes, you get great content, but you get to meet even ama more amazing people, which for me personally is the top reason. We, man, we love you. We love having you at the clinics. Um, your sessions are fantastic. And, and I know coaches listening to this right now are going to be like, man, listen, I've got to go check him out and see him speak one time. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to have you back soon at, at one of our clinics. Um, thank you so much for the kind words about the clinics too. I had to get in that shameless plug. I knew you were going to say something good. So I'm just <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. No, I, pre I really appreciate it. And I know Matt does as well. And um, to all our listeners out there, we'd love for you guys to, to check us out on unitedbasketballclinics.com and be able to come uh, spend a day with us um, for one of our clinics. You get to hear incredible coaches like Coach Pinnell's here um, uh, speak about the game of basketball, talk X's and O's, talk leadership, culture, all that stuff. Um, we'd, we'd be honored to have you with us, just as we were honored to have you on this podcast with us tonight. Um, Coach Pinnell's, thank you so much for being here. Um, we really appreciate you, Matt and myself do. Thank you so much a ton, and uh, um, we'll hopefully talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been an honor, man. It's always great hanging out with you, man, and we'll, we'll get together again. Thanks again for listening to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. My name's Chip, and if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find my email address and my social media handles in the description of this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about this podcast or about United Basketball's fall coaching clinics, please follow us on Twitter at United underscore clinics, or you can visit our website at unitedbasketballclinics.com. We hope you choose to join us for one of our clinics this fall, and we hope to have you listen again to United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. Hi guys, my name is Hernando Planels and I'm excited and honored to be on the United Basketball Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.